We're reading from Exodus this morning, chapter 3. Lord God, we just pray that as we study this chapter this morning, you will um, bring light to us. I pray that I will read it well and that Dave will preach well. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name. Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. 
Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels you. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Well, please do uh, keep your Bibles open. You'll need them to follow along because we're actually going all the way down to chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, So please do have them handy. Well, I wonder if you remember uh, this uh, image uh, from October last year. Uh, It caused quite an uproar. Uh, It was Melina Trump, the first lady, Donald Trump's wife, and she's wearing a jacket. It's the jacket that caused quite the stir, Uh, and it's what's printed on the back that says, I really don't care, do you? And the reason it caused quite the stir is because she was on her way to a child detention centre. And for some, it felt like she was saying, look, I don't care about children in detention. Now, since then, she's clarified that that's not what she meant. There was some other meaning to why. But regardless of why she wore it, we hear that kind of attitude all the time, don't we? Look, I just don't care. But what we're going to see this morning as we read through Exodus, continue reading Exodus together, is that God cares. God cares for his people and he's going to act. Uh, we've started looking at the book of Exodus uh, this term. And the story thus far, if you missed it uh, last week and in the kids' talk, it was a pretty helpful recap, uh, is that God's people, they are in Egypt. Uh, and they have grown to such a large number uh, that the king of Egypt has his concern and so he oppresses them and they become slaves. And yet, despite the oppression, well, they continue to grow. And so the, the ruthless king decides to kill all the baby boys, throw them into the water, he demands, uh, so that they will drown and die. And yet one baby is rescued from the water uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, uh, uh, by Pharaoh's daughter. And she adopts this boy who becomes her son and she names him uh, Moses. And so Moses uh, is raised in the, in the Egyptian palace, living a life of, of luxury as a, as a prince of Egypt. But you see, as time goes by, he sides with his own people, uh, the Israelites. And so one day he, he defends a, a fellow Jew, uh, and, uh, fellow, Jew, uh, fellow Israelite, uh, and kills an Egyptian uh, in the process. But really this just lands him in troubled water, not only with, with his own people but with the Egyptians as well. The Pharaoh wants him dead and so he has to run for his life. He flees for his life and he ends up in Midian. So you can kind of see that map there, upper Egypt, kind of where he was and he goes out long, long, long way away to Midian uh, where he's unknown and nobody where he marries and, and starts a family. And so while Moses flees for his life, his own people continue to be oppressed by the Egyptians. 
You see it in the movies and you see it in like TV shows where someone's so excited by something and they share it with others and they don't, res- they don't respond in the way you'd kind of expect. We see it in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, one of the kids is so excited about meeting Willy Wonka, so excited. She gives him a big hug and introduces herself and Willy Wonka just says, I don't care, but God cares. God cares for his people. And at the end of chapter 2, God has heard their groans, their crying, their pain, and he's remembered his promises to Abraham and he's going to do something about it. Well, Moses, uh, he's now a shepherd and he's doing his shepherding uh, thing and he sees this amazing, amazing sight. Uh, we saw it wonderfully kind of demonstrated. We test her in the scarf. This sees a burning bush that isn't being consumed. And if we saw something like that too, I'm pretty sure that we would go investigate uh, as well. And so from within this burning bush, the Lord speaks to Moses and he tells him that he cares for his people. Have a look there from verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, the first three verbs that are doing words in that verse 7 really show that God cares for his people. Did you hear them? He, he has seen what they are going through. He has heard the cries uh, of the pain that they got, and he is concerned. Or I think as other translations helpfully put it, that is that the Lord knows the suffering they're going through. He knows He is so deeply concerned and involved in his people's life that he knows what they're going through. Uh, My auntie uh, shares this uh, story about my sister when she was younger. Uh, For those who don't know, my parents are are deaf. They can't hear, profoundly deaf, born deaf. Uh, They communicate uh, through sign language. Anyway, my auntie tells this story about my sister. Uh, She had fallen over. And from my parents' perspective, They've definitely seen my sister fall over and really hurt herself. She's crying out in pain. But you see, my auntie, she knows the truth. She sees a girl crying in pain, but silently. She hadn't really hurt herself. She had just wanted her parents' attention. She had learned that she doesn't need to cry out in pain because her parents can't hear. And so she just put on a bit of a knack to get her parents' attention and pretended to cry, and, well, she got my parents' attention. But you see, the Lord sees, and he hears and he knows exactly what his people are going through, and he's going to do something about it. He's going to come down and rescue and bring them up out of that land, out of the slavery and badness into their, to their own land, a good land, a spacious land, an abundant land. Because God cares for his people. And he's appointed Moses to lead his people. Have a look there from verse 10. So now go. I am sending you, Moses, 
uh, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You see, God plans to, to rescue his people through Moses. He's appointed Moses to be his leader and bring them out of slavery and into their own spacious and abundant land. You see, God cares for his people. And we see this kind of care in our Lord Jesus as well, don't we? Uh, last last term we looked at John's Gospel together uh, and we saw that when Jesus' dear friend Lazarus had died, he showed great care and concern and compassion towards Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. You see, even though Jesus knew that he would raise Lazarus back to life, at that moment at the tomb, he, he mourns with them, he cries. He mourns with those who mourn. You see, Jesus cares. And so God cares about the difficult situations we find ourselves in today. God cares about the sufferings and trials we're in, the uncertainties of of life uh, that we find ourselves in, the bosses who are overly demanding, inconsistent, who treat us unfairly. You see, God cares. The challenges we have with our children, the, the stresses we have in life, God cares. And he's given us his wonderful blessing and a wonderful privilege of being able to come to him in prayer and to speak to him about the, the uncertainties and, and hardships we find ourselves in life. There's a great passage in, in Philippians, it's up on the screen. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so when life gets tough, let God be your first response. Before talking to another friend, before sending a message, before talk to God first. May prayer be our first response in whatever situation we find ourselves in because God cares for his people and he loves to hear our prayers. Well, God cares for his people and he's going to come down and rescue them and Moses is the guy he's going to use to lead them out. But you see, despite this news, despite God rescuing uh, his people, despite the God Almighty speaking to him from this incredible sight, this burning bush, well, Moses doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And he objects. Five times, five times he rejects God. And what we're going to see in each of these objections is that Moses uh, focuses in on himself. He, he sees his own failings, his own insecurities, his own weaknesses. And again and again we'll see that God says, it's not about you, Moses. It's about me and what I will do through you. Well, the first objection comes in uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Have a look there. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Well, Moses isn't playing celebrity heads with some famous dead celebrity on his head. Am I, am I dead or alive? No, no, no. Moses is telling God here that he is a nobody. No one's going to listen to me. 
And you see, it's his past, it's his history that really drives him to do that. See, remember, he's already tried to help the Israelites back in chapter 2. He tried to go and defend his, his the, the oppressed Israelites, but it backfired. And they don't want to have anything to do with him. And so he had to flee for his life. And so he's failed in the past, he's going to fail in the future. He's a nobody, it's not going to work. But you see, God's response is simple and clear. It's not about you, Moses. It's not about you, but who I am. Have a look there from verse 12. God said, I will be with you. God will be with Moses. What comforting and assuring words for Moses to hear. It's not about him, but the one who is with him. I wonder if you can uh, think back to the schoolyard. You see a, a little brother being picked on and so the big older brother comes to protect the brother. It's the big brother coming to protect the younger brother from the bully in the schoolyard or whatever it might be. Will God the Almighty, the creator of all things, he will be with Moses as he does these, does these things. Who am I? Will God will be with you, Moses. But Moses raises a second objection. And this one's about how he will be received. Um, Have a look there from verse 13. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? You see, this one's about how, how he'll be received. They won't believe that you sent me. See, God responds with these incredible, amazing words from verse 14. Follow along from verse 14. Uh, 14. Uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And in this incredible moment, God reveals himself uh, to Moses as the God of Abraham. And these are really complex uh, verses that so much ink uh, has been uh, written on them. But let me uh, help you understand some of the things going on here. God's name here is I Am. And the first thing to notice about this is that almost all tr- English translations today have the God's name capitalised. And so when you see Lord capitalised, like you see it in, say, verse 15, uh, that is uh, God's name. And it's like that because the Jews, well, they didn't want to misuse uh, God's name in light of the third commandment. And so even though the name would be there printed in the text for them to read, they would never say it. As they came to that word, they would say Lord instead. And so as a result, we actually don't know how to say that word. Uh, some older translations might use the word Jehovah, uh, but those in the scholarly world, those in the know, those who are paid for this stuff, they reckon it's most probably pronounced Yahweh. Uh, that's the best educated guess at this moment. Hence why some translations, particularly the, the Holman, they throughout the Bible, instead of using Lord capitalised, it says Yahweh. And while we learn his name here, the name in itself isn't that significant because that name is used with, uh, uh, of God in his interactions with Abraham. Abraham is aware of, of, of this name. 
the name in itself isn't that significant. It is what his name means that is what is most significant here. And that is what God tells Moses here. I am who I am. But what does that even mean? Well, on the one hand, uh, it means that God doesn't rely on someone or something to define himself. He's not controlled or willed by another. He is who he is. I am who I am. But there's another aspect to his name, uh, which we kind of see in our footnote. Uh, I know in my translation, I've got a C, and it goes to a footnote down below, and it says, I will be what I will be. Or I think I like better, I will be who I will be. And I like this rendering because it kind of shows that that God will be who he shows himself to be. You see, God's actions, as they will see in the future, will testify what he is like. You see, God will, will save and rescue Israel, and that will show what kind of a God he is. You will know who I am. You want to know who I am? Well, look at what I do, and then you'll know what I'm like. You see, God's nature, who he is, what he is like, is seen in the actions he does, in what he does for Israel's behalf. Who he is will be made clear by what he does. Uh, David uh, Warner, uh, the cricketer, uh, has a nickname. Uh, It's called the Bull. Uh, He's called the Bull because he is aggressive. He's an aggress- he has an aggressive approach to the game, the way he bats, the way he goes at the opposition team. He's like a bull. His nickname embodies what he's like. But I'm sure he's not always bull-like. I'm sure his wife and daughters, they don't, they don't call him the bull at home. But as God reveals himself to Moses, what he's like is in perfect unison with who he is. I will be who I will be. And God will act for his people. He will bring them out of slavery into their own land because he cares. What great comforting words of assurance for Moses. But Moses isn't convinced. In comes his third objection. They're not going to believe me. So from chapter 4, verse 1, have a look there. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? While Moses struggles to take God at his word, you see these verbal assurances from God, well, they, they aren't enough. They aren't enough for Moses. And so God gives him some physical signs, some physical things that he can see with his eyes to have confidence in God that God is sending him as he speaks on his behalf. And he does these incredible things. The staff is turned into a snake and turns back into a staff again. He puts his hand into his jacket and it comes out and it's full of disease and he puts it back in and it's back to normal again. And a third, if he needs it, if he needs it, he's to get some water from the river, from the Nile River, pour it on the ground and it'll turn into blood. You see, these, these signs were to, to validate, to, to prove that his authority had come from God that he had been sent by God to speak on God's behalf. But Moses, quickly running out of excuse, comes up with another one, a fourth one there from verse 10, uh, chapter 4. He says this time, I have never been eloquent, 
neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And while there might be some truth here, he may, I'm not sure, have, a, have had a speech impediment. Certainly his Egyptian and, and Hebrew language skills were probably a bit rusty, but he's certainly been fairly eloquent, wouldn't you say, in his objections to, to, to God throughout this interaction with God. Very eloquent, I would say. But, but what a poor excuse as he speaks to the creator of all things, including all people, who gives the ability to speak and mouths to each and every person. God Almighty is the one who will be with him, who will help him speak and will teach him what to say. You see, God reassures Moses in his self-doubt, in his lack of trust in God. Moses is so inward focused, that, but it's not about him. It's about God, Yahweh himself, who will be words, who will give him the words to say. But as Moses runs out of excuses, out of objections, well, he just flatly rejects God. Have a look there from verse 13. Please send someone else. But Moses can't avoid it anymore. And while in verse 14, the Lord's anger burns against Moses, God is still gracious and kind and provides his his brother Aaron to speak on his behalf. Look, there's no way Moses can get out of this. God has appointed Moses to speak on behalf of his people. Sure, Aaron will speak, but it will be as if it was Moses. God's appointed Moses as his leader. There is no way he can escape from this. Our picture of Moses might have been tarnished a bit this morning. We may have seen Moses as this great hero, this great leader of God's people who who parted the Red Sea, who who smashed the rock and water came gushing out, who who spent days with, with God up on the mountain. And yet at the very beginning, what weakness we're seeing with such great insecurity, being inadequate, cowardly, who doesn't trust God's word. And yet God uses and and chooses him to to highlight his power and grace because it's not about Moses and his failings and weaknesses. It's about God in whom Moses is to now find his identity and task in his role. It's about the God who will work through Moses to bring about his purposes It's about God who will work powerfully through Moses. Moses might be weak, but God is strong and will give him all he needs. And that's the message of the gospel, is it not? God doesn't save us because we first loved him or because we did something amazing to grab his attention, that we're so impressive, eloquent, capable, God demonstrated his love, his his own love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God saves us when we're at our worst. Sinners, dead, lost, needing to be rescued. At our weakest and most vulnerable, it's at that point that God saves us. You see, God cares for his people. 
And in Exodus, he provided Moses to lead them, regardless of how good he thought he was or inadequate he was. Because it's not about Moses, but about the God who will work through him and what he will do. We can look at the Moses uh, encounter and we can, we can marvel at it. We can think, whoa, he saw this burning bush. Whoa, that would have been so cool. But what Moses experienced pales in significance to what we have seen in the revelation we have received in Christ Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have seen God fully revealed. That we have seen God be who he will be. We have seen his full plan and revelation fulfilled in Jesus, in his death and resurrection. He has brought us not to the promised land of Exodus, but to the, to the new creation where we are forgiven through Christ's redemptive work and in perfect relationship with God. We saw it in John's Gospel that, that Jesus has made God fully known to us. And when we encounter Jesus, we too are transformed like Moses. Moses, uh, uh, Moses might have been called to lead God's people, but we too have been called. We have been called to be people of God, children of God through faith in Jesus. And we have been given new identities found in him too. And so our, our identities aren't found in what we do, on whether we are a student, a mother, a doctor, an accountant, a retiree, whatever it is that you do through the week, our identity is not found in what we do. It's found in Christ, the one in whom we've been called to be with and to follow. And part of our calling is that we are to be active servants of Christ. We are called to be sent out on mission. It's not about you, it's not about me. It's about Jesus in whom we represent here and now. And so our task is to to proclaim, to speak the message of the gospel to the world around us. And while we won't all do the same thing, we won't all do the same thing. Some of us might be called to be be pastors or or, or missionaries, uh, preaching like this week in and week out, or, or run fantastic courses like Life Explored. Others of us, might not go any further than our own neighbourhoods, our workplaces, our families. But you know, we can all open up the scriptures and open the Bible and and read some with a friend. And we can all certainly invite people to a course like Life Explored and do it with us. We're called to speak of Jesus to those around us. And there are so many different ways and ways that we can do that. We can do it here, straight after church, over morning tea. Or we can speak to one another about the scriptures and things we've been learning this week with one another as we reflect on on today's Bible passage and and encourage one another with it. We can do it when we say serve on, on kids' church and teach the kids these wonderful, wonderful truths about our great God and Saviour Jesus. In fact, Kids Church is looking for another leader. Uh, if you would like to consider serving in this way, please let me know. We'd, we'd love you to be able to uh, serve in that way. And we can also do it when we pluck up the courage to speak to unbelievers about Jesus, whether those people we know or, 
or our door knocking this afternoon. What we see here from Moses is extremely, extremely helpful because we certainly feel inadequate, insecure, weak in being Christ's mouthpiece to this world. But you know it's not about you? It's not about me? It's about Christ in whom our identity is found. We need to hear this today. I need to hear this today. When I'm feeling inadequate, ineloquent, not up to the task, which is quite often, we are weak vessels, jars of clay that are fragile and can easily be broken. But it's not about us because as as weak jars of, of clay, what we hold is this amazing treasure, this amazing treasure of the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ and the way that he saves us. And God is powerfully at work in us as we speak this to those around us. Look, we've all found reasons and excuses for why we can't speak about Jesus, where we're too busy. I'm an introvert. God would never send me. I'm terrible with words. I'm a bad example. I've, I've never done it before. Surely God would not send me. But as we pray that people might come to know the Lord Jesus, as we pray that people would trust him and live for him, God is waiting for you to answer your own prayer and to speak of Jesus to this world around us that so desperately needs him. God uses the weak and ordinary to display his goodness and power and grace. God cared for his people and sent Moses to lead them despite his inabilities perceived. And it's the same for us today. It's not about us and how weak and ordinary we may think we are. But God uses us to proclaim Christ and to bring about his purposes of growing the people of God. What a wonderful privilege we have to get on board with that too. Let's pray and ask God for help. Father, we give you great thanks that you care. You are a God who cares and cares for your people. And we give you great thanks that you have called us. Called us when we were most uh, weak and vulnerable, dead. And when we put our trust in in the Lord Jesus, you have given us this, this new wonderful life, a great hope in life despite all the insecurities and uncertainties of life around us. Father, we do pray that in light of our calling to be called the children of God, that you would so help us do that other part of being called on mission and to boldly proclaim Christ to this world around us who so desperately need to know him. Please use us. Give us confidence. Help us realize when we're just making excuses to pray for help and to pray uh, and to, to speak that you might display your, your glory uh, and power and strength through us, your weak and ordinary vessels. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.